Hello, friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. I've come to think of the act of artistic creation as one of generosity. I imagine something, make something, then turn to you, the audience, to invite you to share, to add something of yourself, to build on my idea through your act of participation. Our digital tools can trigger the same type of engagement. We pour the minutiae of our lives into banking apps, weight loss tools, social media accounts, fitness trackers, and in return we feel known, heard, even catered to. In this Cybersecurity by Design episode of Silo Busting, Anshu Sharma, co-founder and CEO of Skyflow, talks with Sam Raymond, our Chief Information Security Officer and SVP, about how to protect this relationship of collaboration we have with our apps without also inviting hackers to shatter that trust. You don't know it's sensitive until someone exploits it, says Sam, about our personal data, reminding all of us that trust and collaboration work best in an environment of security and respect for privacy. At the same time, the more data we share, the more our digital experiences can align to our needs, our contacts, and our preferences. This info-sharing quid pro quo might seem questionable when you're talking about shopping habits or what have you, but what about data sharing to speed coronavirus vaccine delivery, just to pick an example? How can we unleash the power of data and responsive systems while protecting what's personal to individual people? Let's hear Anshu and Sam talk about how companies can ensure security for your data without losing their connection to you. This is going to be fun. So. Uh, Anshu, so good to have you. So um, you and I we have quite a bit of history since Oracle, and, and uh, I've had a number of conversations brainstormed with you around data and other things as well, but it's just always a always a, a pleasure to actually talk to you and, and brainstorm with you, and, and this time we get to do it on a podcast format. So, but maybe just for the audience, could you do a quick intro about yourself and we could jump right into the topic? Yes, excited to talk to you, Sam. Uh, I think we've known each other for decades now and always fun and interesting to have a conversation. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Skyflow, a data privacy vault company. And I've also invested in companies like Clearden, uh, another cybersecurity startup focused on collaboration security. And before that, I spent two decades at software companies like Salesforce and Oracle building their cloud and infrastructure. Perfect. Thanks, Anshu. So let, let's jump right into it. I, I've got a problem, to be very honest with you. I um, I looked at data dissemination. I looked at data motion, especially around geographic, different locations. And, and when I looked at that, and I looked at on the other side, the the concerns around data privacy around controlling you know who has visibility to what data it's such a vast problem Uh, maybe just you know on a very high level to start the conversation how do you see this problem around data privacy data movement and 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 you know especially across the globe these days yes i think data privacy and data sharing are two sides of the same coin and the biggest challenge is that some people want to share data without respecting privacy, while other people want to respect privacy and disable all collaboration. This dichotomy is frankly, you know, killing people. If you think about COVID-19 crisis right now, we have a difficulty in collecting data, disseminating data about testing, vaccines, who's flying where. All of this information needs to flow, but we have to be able to do this without you know, compromising anybody's privacy. And this is not an unsolvable problem. Uh, 
The sad part is a lot of people think this is unsolvable, but I think it's totally solvable with today's technology. And I think if we solve this problem, we can save a lot of lives. I, I can't agree more. I, uh, and I'm obviously from a security side, I, I've been working on all these years about how to keep uh, data, mostly the integrity actually, you know, and visibility, confidentiality. But at the same time, majority of the time is, you know, I still look at systems where they couldn't do what they could do. Like all the features that could be provided, all the good things that could be provided to people, majority of the time was access of data. So do, do you see there is a good way to, to you know, to balance between the two, which is to allow the responsible way of, of sharing information to and still honor least privileged type of concept? Yeah, so, you know, I think uh, there's a whole class of algorithms built around zero-knowledge proofs. There's a whole class of algorithms built around modern techniques of encryption. And this is where computers and software can frankly shine and be very, very different than our real-world lives, right? So if you think about uh, your personal life, if you have, let's say, uh, a bunch of documents, let's say your passport and some gold at home, and you decide that I'm going to, you know, for the sake of security, going to go keep it in the bank, in a vault, uh, you basically lose access to that. And there's nothing you can use it for. You can't travel with your passport in sitting in a bank vault. But there is a class of algorithms now available that allows us to do this in cyberspace. We call this a zero trust data vault. Um, Skyflow has built one, but there's other companies that are attempting to build the same thing. And the core concept is very simple. Uh, can I keep my passport in the bank vault and ask it a question like, hey, is Sam eligible to fly to uh, Turkey this Monday? And in computer science language, we would call it uh, an assertion, right? Can the bank make an assertion? So what would happen in the real world is you would go, someone at the bank would go open the bank vault take a look at your passport, decide whether or not you're eligible to fly, maybe write up a note for you, right? We can do all of that with software, except we don't actually have to open the vault. So while keeping the data encrypted, we can create these assertions or tokens. So think about COVID-19, another perfect example, right? So what we really want is you and I to be able to walk up to the airport and depending on the COVID-19 tests we've done, our vaccination history, the airline to be able to figure out whether or not we're allowed to travel. But you don't want to give all of your medical history to the airline, right? There's all kinds of privacy concerns with that. So how would you do that? Well, you can do that with a zero trust data privacy vault, right? By enabling cryptographic techniques, we can essentially create a token or an assertion that can then be verified by the airline and allowing you to fly. So it's kind of magical. I think people don't think of computer science and software as magic anymore because we've gotten so used to it. But there are things we can do in the cyber world that we really can't do in the real world. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. It, it, and I get that question very often too, which is, you know, how do we secure this part? How do we secure that? And at the end of the day, when there is no movement, that's the most secure. Whenever, you know, it's a typical you know, cryptographic concept that, you know, if you have to transport your keys, you're, you're losing already. And so, you know, by that default, based on running your, your, 
what you need to do, your processes, your validation on assertion is is really the right thing to do. And and if this is this by itself is not new. Um, I mean, if you go back and look at what SGX and what what you know, even SIM card in the old days or ESN, you know, chips in the old, we've had those on a hardware level, you know, for small transaction for years. But it's extremely difficult to use. It's very small scale. What is interesting to me is I think you know bringing this to a much larger scale to a to to a it's a different mindset to some degree for the engineers to think about it. instead of me pulling in a social security number in my memory do whatever I need to do. And then, you know, and then, you know, say yes or no or, or confirm when that became a completely visible piece in your memory, people could scrape it out of pro or whatever they need to do, that the list of, of vulnerabilities and attack, you know, uh, uh, angle of attack is just huge versus you're saying, keep what you need to do is confidential, keep it in the vault in this case, keep it in the enclave, keep it in a secure environment. And then really run your operation and keep the actual validation and visibility inside that enclave, that vault. I, I think it's absolutely right thing to do. W- what can we do to make it this paradigm um, more widespread, easier to use, so that more engineers could actually think that way or more architects could actually think that way? Awesome, Sam. Uh, I think we need to do exactly what Jeff Bezos did to computers 20 years ago. Uh, which is make it such that you don't have to be an expert in cryptography and key management and key rotation and secure enclaves. You should be able to simply go to a website, something like Skyflow, say, hey, this is the kind of data I want to use. And it gives you a vault and you start using it. Uh, It's very, very similar to how people today use Stripe, right? Nobody thinks Stripe is a security company because you just give them the credit card number and they do everything for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Okta and Otsu will do that for you, username, password. So we've taken the same approach and just applied it to uh, secure data sharing. So as a result, our customers can just provision the vault for internal use, build their applications, but they can also use it to do intercompany collaboration. Um, I think one example I was sharing with you earlier was how city of Miami is say working with Carnival Cruises or Disney and they need to be able to certify that the people getting on the ship and the employees have all been tested, right? So now you're thinking about there's multiple entities involved here. There's Disney, there is city of Miami, there's the state of Florida, there's federal authorities, Department of Health and Human Services. All of these have some requirements to both share data but also receive data. And if you try doing this using you know, older technologies, even if it's the same set of technologies, just putting all of this together can take years. Um, there's actually a very famous Department of Defense and VA, a multi-billion dollar project going on for many, many years, more than a decade now, simply to share health records when you go from being a service member to becoming a veteran. And it still doesn't work. And the reason is because it's being done by things that were built for your data center. Uh, I think in order to make this really work, we just need to build the cloud-first, cloud-native version of this technology. And that's what Skyflow's mission is. But I'm sure there's going to be a whole class of companies that are attempting to do this. No, I, I honestly am really excited about this because I, 
uh, long story short, many years ago, you might remember this, but I was still at Oracle. We were working on ePedigree. Remember that um, yes. Florida ePedigree initiative? And we were working on it. And I asked a very unpopular question because ePedigree back then was all about uh, about uh, audit trail uh, integrity of the messages. So there was a lot of work around signing it, you know, WS security, signing the messages, making sure that, you know, every track, if you think about it, it was at that time was trying to generate immutable objects, you know, blockchain, whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's about generating immutable objects that could be validated across multiple transactions so that, you know, if I unpack a, a pack of, you know, uh, drugs and I disseminate that across four pharmaceutical companies or, or uh, you know, five, you know, five pharmacists, they would then add on top of it, but they cannot go back in time and modify it. And you can validate the entire pedigree of the entire system. And I ask a very unpopular, um, a very unpopular uh, question at that time, which is before we go down that path of sending all this information, which includes sensitive information, people's names and everything out and make that 100% public. Can I ask the question, what do they need that information for? And what I asked, mm-hmm. and people looked at me like, you know, deal with it in front of the headlights. And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, just tell me, what do they need that information for? Well, they need to validate it. Okay. If there is a trusted party who can validate it, then it's just the API call to say, here is a, here is a drug. You know, here is a transaction. Uh, can you tell me if that's real or not? Why do they need exactly. to actually see the whole message? And then they ask, you know, then we go down to the pharmaceutical company. Then we actually go down to all the way down to the pharmacy. And when you look at it, the number of people that even at that time that actually need true visibility to it was really the creation point in the beginning, one or two points in between. And and then at the very end, there might be some visibility or even just, you know, basically running these assertions would be more than enough to do it. And you completely bypass the problem of having all this information out in the wild completely. Yes, you maintain integrity, but the difficulty about confidentiality is it's easy for us to say what is private information, what is sensitive information today. Only when people start to exploit it, that's when you start to regret. I'll, I'll give an example about Facebook. Nobody had a problem with giving all their face, you know, e- uh, their email addresses, their phone numbers, their friends' connection, who's their wife, who's their friend, who are their friends, where they work. Nobody had a problem with that, or most people don't have a problem with that in the beginning with Facebook. Until Facebook start to realize there is a way to actually monetize from it and use it, and then people start to say, "Whoa, wait a minute!" It turns out I gave away all my interactions with all my friends, and what do I do? Where do I go? And everything. Now I have a problem. You don't know if it's sensitive until people start to exploit it. I'm not saying Facebook exploit it, but that's why it's so um, I think difficult for people to just assume and say, "Well, make it exploit." The, the least privileged concept really applies here. And I think having a vault and, and based on a secure execution environment is is really the way to go, especially especially thing that we know are sensitive today. You know, forget about all the other things that we don't know yet. Yes. And I think it's it's your, you know, personal uh, social network information. It's also when you get a DNA test done. I wrote this article a couple of years ago, how you know, when you give up your data, you're actually not just giving up your data, you're also giving the data of your first cousin. Because right. if I find a 12.5% match between your DNA and someone else's DNA at site at an airport, I can now basically find out that your first cousin or someone related to you was there. So, mm-hmm. and they didn't give 
permission to you to share that data. So uh, every time you're sharing information about yourself, you're sharing information about your children's father, <laughs> you're sharing information about someone's DNA you share. So there's first and second order effects that we all have to be thoughtful about. And the solution these days seems to be knee-jerk, uh, both from regulatory people as well as uh, oftentimes the media, which is shut down all sharing. Uh, we cannot function as an economy. Our GDP directly depends on information getting shared. The key to making all of this work is to put in place infrastructure such that this sharing is goes with grants and rights and permissions. So when I give my credit card number to process a transaction, it's not like they're allowed to do anything and everything with them. Now, companies like Visa and others have spent tens of billions of dollars making that just one process called credit card processing work. And even then credit card numbers leak because they all started like 30, 40 years ago. Today, uh, Apple Pay is a breakthrough because when you register with Apple Pay, they don't take your credit card number and send it to anybody. They in fact use a secure enclave on the phone and essentially create one-time tokens and assertions that get passed around based and allow you to make a payment. Now, that's great for a payment scenario. Uh, For us, the question was, can you make that work for all the other workflows? Can you make it work for my COVID-19 data? Can you make it work for my personal health record? Can you make it work for supply chain data? Can you make it work for payment information? So I think that's really the, the exciting thing. In the next five years, I believe we will have networks of companies sharing data not the way it was done 10, 20 years ago, simply to monetize you at your risk, but instead to do it in a way that actually comes with permission and comes with regulatory approval. Uh, I'll give a shout out to my friend, uh, Tom Kemp, the former CEO of Centrify, who's pushed a new regulation uh, through the proposition route in California. And it's just a great way. It's, It's built on the concept of do not call registry for your phone number, but extends to the internet. And I think we're going to see regulations like that getting adopted at the national level across the globe. And I think that will allow companies like us to further uh, provide that infrastructure and say, hey, here is a best template that the government and people who understand this deeply and care about have come up with. Here is a turnkey solution and you can go and now do the business you want to be in. Yeah, I like that. I, I I think you brought up another point too around um, information is sensitive, always relative to time. There is always a time window of sensitivity. That's, that's what I always try to tell people. And that was what you mentioned just now too, which is, you know, yes, my information is important, but, you know, 200 years from now, who cares about my information personally? And and And, and you can extend that concept out. And this is where computing is so important. Because we we don't shine, human being. I think we don't shine in entropy, but you know, uh, security, cybersecurity shines in entropy, creating a lot of small time-based, you know, sensitive information. That's you know, rotate them, uh, add to them, generate you know more. That would actually be, you know, would allow us to 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 confuse the hackers, the attackers, but really managing, playing that against them, which is. That it, making sure that whatever you present and had to expose had a very limited time to live. That 
reduce your blast radius substantially. So I'd love to go through and talk to you some more about it. But maybe, you know, if I may invite you to maybe come back and, and talk about, you know, a, a few more things in that, you know, some more, uh, I'd love to do another session with you and maybe a couple of them if you're all right with it. But, you know, before we go, maybe give us a few takeaways, you know, for the audience and say, you know, what do you think the audience should remember and, and, you know, until we maybe hopefully you come back and talk to me again about, you know, some of the other topics. Awesome. First of all, thank you, Sam, for inviting me to this podcast. And this is such a great topic in the time and age we live in. We're rolling out vaccinations. As you can see, com- countries like Israel and Taiwan, who got the data collaboration piece right from day one, were able to roll out testing and vaccination so much faster. And I think the solution is right in front of us. Companies like Apple, Netflix, Goldman Sachs, and others have been using these modern compute paradigms and infrastructure and architectures for almost a decade now. And they have teams of tens of engineers who make this happen. I think if we can democratize that platform, which is what Skyflow's mission is, that, hey, here is a simple API. If you use this API, you get a turnkey vault where if you keep things like social security numbers, credit card numbers, and everything else, you never really have to ever decrypt the data. You can run your workflows, analytics, and share this data in meaningful ways. I think if we get this right, not just at Skyflow, but as an industry as a whole, we can actually save lives and increase the GDP of the world. And that'd be a great way to pay respect to what happened in the last few years. I like that a lot. I'm sure. I think I think I have so much more I want to talk to you about and and some of those in private. I'd love to <laughs> brainstorm with you some more about it. But maybe we have a lot to talk about. And and if I may invite you to come back again, let's have another session um, and go through some of the 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 related topic. That would be wonderful. But hey, always good talking to you, I'm sure. And uh, thanks for coming and joining us for this uh, podcast today. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond, Anshu Sharma, for the great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coden, and I'm off to perform John Cage's 4 minutes 33 seconds. 